Welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and with me, super awesome guest of the week, Jay Jaffe, uh, author, writer, father, genius, just everything. He's, <laughs> Jay is just everything. Uh, but we're going to mostly be talking about Jay's new book, uh, the Cooperstown Casebook, who's in the Baseball Hall of Fame, who should be in, and who should pack their plaques. Jay, how you doing? Hey, I'm great, Joe. Good to be here. Well, I'm glad to have you. This is this is great because I'm pretty sure you and I are the two biggest Hall of Fame nerds uh, in America. Yes, would you agree? <laughs> I I would agree. The only other person I think who 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 probably makes the platform uh, is Graham Womack of the Sporting News. But I, I would say between the three of us, we probably write more uh, about the Hall of Fame than than any other writers in America. Yeah, and we shouldn't overlook Graham because Graham's out there interviewing guys, asking them about going to the Hall of Fame. So yeah, Graham's absolutely. Great. Shout shout out to Graham. Graham, Graham is great. So we're going to talk a lot about the Hall of Fame, uh, and we're going to talk, I think, quite a bit about next year's class uh, and and who who we think are in, who we think are out. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, before we go on, I do want to tell you about the uh, MLB Statcast podcast, uh, which is awesome, by the way. Uh, two great friends of mine, Mike Petriello and Matt Myers, uh, do uh, all sorts of Statcasts. Last week, they investigated. Uh, StatCast angles for pre-Tedline deals, debated Adrian Beltre's place among the all-time great third baseman, which I know we'll talk a little Adrian Beltre. Uh, if there's something you want to hear, search for StatCast Podcast on Apple Podcasts or go to www.statcastpodcast.com. Uh, now we go on with the show. So, Jay, uh, first of all, let, let you know what, let's start from the very sort of start because I'm very curious about this. First of all, the book is great. Thank Why you. do you think, because it's not just us. I mean, we joke about us being kind of the biggest nerds about this. Why do we care? Why do we care about the Baseball Hall of Fame so much? You know, I think I think it's because, um, you know, everybody, every every fan can imagine, uh, or every, just about every baseball fan has some kind of reaction to Cooperstown, whether it's I don't care right. or, you know, I, or I do care and – you know, and, and therefore, um, you know, they either they have some beef with the Hall of Fame. It's, you know, Pete Rose should be in, Barry Bond should be in or not. Um, you know, they, they all have some beef. They all want to see their own experiences validated. I saw Tim Raines play uh, when he was the best player in the National League. I really want him. You know, I really think he belongs in the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, I think because baseball lends itself so well to the numbers and because we have such consciousness of those numbers, we have at least some vague understanding of what makes a Hall of Famer, or we think we do, uh, you know, and that and that kind of translates in it. But mostly, I think it's just because we want our experiences validated uh, to have seen some of these greats uh, when they were in action, uh, and you know, and look forward to a time when they're uh, housed under the same roof as Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Cy Young, Walter Johnson, etc. Yeah, it's it's very very personal. To people in a way that's weird uh, when you compare it to other sports. I mean, I don't think it's the same thing for football or for basketball. Maybe it is for hockey. Uh, I have heard some of the same passion in things like golf, you know, stuff like that. Um, I didn't even know golf had a Hall of Fame. It, it does, and it's, <laughs> and it's quite controversial. There, there, there are controversies. That could be your next book. Um, 
but no, but it, but it's different. And I think your your point is right. I think there is a there is a very angry nature to people uh, that's different. Like for instance, Steve Garvey. So people who grew up watching Steve Garvey play were convinced they were watching one of the greatest players of all time at the time, right? They were convinced. And so to say all these years later, oh, Steve Garvey falls short of the Hall of Fame, it's it's an affront to 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 them in a way that I think is different. And 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 I think maybe it's the numbers, maybe it's that baseball relies more on its history maybe than other sports do. But I don't get the same sense. Like what you know, I grew up as a as a Cleveland Browns fan. I was thrilled when Ozzie Newsom went into the Hall of Fame. I thought it was great. But if Ozzie Newsom had not gone to the Hall of Fame, I would not have I don't think I would have had any sort of like, oh, that's terrible. I mean, he he's he's a Hall of Famer. But I I do have those feelings about those those baseball players that I saw. I it just feels like it's different somehow. Yeah, I I think so. I mean, you know, we're it's so granular now, especially, you know, given the fact that the majority of voters reveals their ballots at some point. It's so granular that you can connect, uh, you know, an individual vote to an individual voter. I don't know that you can do that for any of the other halls of fame, um, you know, and, and uh, uh, we don't see the same kind of uh, uh, grassroots type lobbying efforts to get uh a football player into the Hall of Fame or whatever, as you do with baseball. I mean, we've now seen two major ones in the in the last uh, uh, decade in Burt Blylevin and Tim Raines, uh, and there are some other ones that are maybe uh, uh, you know a little bit you know a little bit uh, uh, further down the list as well. I mean, Dick Allen with it with the Veterans Committee, sure. um, you know, and and uh, I think the, the success of the Raines campaign only encourages more. I'm certainly ready to start up the, uh, the Edgar Martinez bandwagon here in, in earnest uh, uh, with his two final years remaining on the ballot. Absolutely. And I think that point is right. I think that, that these guys become a cause. I mean, I, it does happen a little bit in other sports. I remember I was involved in a, in a, pretty substantial Kansas City effort in, in football to get Otis Taylor, the wide receiver, uh-huh. into the Hall of Fame. So it does happen, but I think this process is so much more open. Like in football, you don't really know. It's just a it's you know 35, 40 guys getting it I guess there are a couple of women now. It used to be just literally 35, 40 guys uh get into a room and sort of fight it out and then come out with who the Hall of Famers are. Uh and so this is a much more open process and and you know, it's it's interesting because I think everybody certainly talks about the Bly Levin uh, one, which I think was the first one with Rich Letterer and those right. guys. Uh, Tim Raines is, you know, was it, it was such a, an extraordinary campaign that that Jonah Carey, who was certainly on the forefront of that, actually gets thanked in the Tim Raines speech, which I right. thought was awesome. But but I don't think it's just the internet. I mean, certainly there was a very strong Jim Rice campaign that was not statistically or internet driven. I think there was a very strong Jack Morris campaign that I think eventually will get Jack Morris into the hall of fame. So it's, there's definitely, it's coming from all different angles, but people pick players and they're passionate about it. Yeah. The other thing that just occurred to me is do we even know, um, you know, what the voting levels are for other halls of fame, uh, when they do fall short? I mean, do we know that say Otis Taylor was getting 62% of the vote until, you know, until whatever year we do, oh. because because we have it's just like everything else with baseball. We just have this huge volume of data that we can analyze, I and mean, we could see Burt Blylevin's uh, 
support levels from year to year and, and, and Jack Morris's levels from year to year and, and whatever. And that sort of feeds into uh, the, the fact that this has become uh, almost a spectator sport unto itself. It's, it's, it's the, uh, the flip side of hot stove season. If you don't care about uh, uh, you know, what your team is doing or if your team's not doing anything uh, at the moment, you can turn your attention to, to that because it's a whole other uh, you know, set of games and, and outcomes. That's a great point because, for instance, uh, you talk about another sport you know, that I was – I'm not going to say super involved in, but I wrote a piece about how ridiculous it is that Lefty Drizel is not in the Basketball Hall of Fame based on, on wow. his incredible uh-huh. – which, you know, and, and that's another thing. In baseball, there's sort of a – you don't go up to people and say, oh, Barry Bonds, is he in or is he – everybody knows, right? But in right. in other sports, like people – I say to people, like, it's ridiculous. Lefty Drizel's not in the Hall of Fame. And they'll say, oh, I thought he was. Like, that's sort of the general reaction. But your point is 100% right in that I don't know that Lefty Drizel is any closer – to the Hall of Fame than he was five years ago. I have no, there's no way to sort of uh, judge that how that moves. It's not like he's up to 53% or 57%. It's literally, they just walk in the door and then they come out and say, he's in or he's out. Right. I mean, so yeah, so that's, you're right. I think that's a big, big part of this thing. But I also think there's a big part of the just, it, this is with the character of baseball, right? Is that we want to believe whether it's true or not. And we know it's not entirely true but we want to believe that Babe Ruth is playing the same sport as Lou Gehrig as Ted Williams as Hank Aaron as Willie Mays as Johnny Bench as Barry Bonds right they're all playing the same game and we want to be able to cross generations I think in baseball in a way that we don't necessarily in other sports yeah I don't think anybody you know talks about whether Sammy Baugh and and Tom Brady are are, are, you know are on the same plane (laughs) that's that's a hundred percent right all right so in doing this book and 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 and, you know having written books and, and done these sorts of interviews the question that everybody always asks you know and I'm sure you've gone through a bunch of these interviews already so you've been asked this question people always ask you what surprised you that's the big book question like when well, in doing this book, what surprised you, right? Well, so you I mean, can ask that. Yeah, I mean, going back to just the original, to like the form, the creation of Jaws, which was uh, in the winter of two thousand three, two thousand four. Uh, for and explain ba- it for, a little bit. Explain it base, a little bit for for baseball perspective. Okay, so so you know, to back up, I had started writing about the Hall of Fame. Uh, at Futility Infield, or my blog, in the winter of 2001-2002. At the time, the uh, new Bill James historical abstract was brand spanking new. He had just introduced wind shares. Uh, The Politics of Glory, which I bought as whatever happened to the Hall of Fame, uh, was was less than a decade decade old. Uh, And I was, you know, curious to see what what James's new metrics said about the Hall of Fame – uh, about the Hall of Fame ballot, and I kind of played around with some stuff with that. Uh, did it for a couple of years and got you know bonkers traffic relative to my piddling little little uh, uh, rate of a, you know a couple hundred people a day, um, and you know, to the point that Baseball Prospectus, Prospectus invited me to do something for them for the 2004 ballot. Um, uh, they uh, were still. Uh, you know, they had just introduced, I guess maybe a year before, uh, wins above replacement player, uh, a more, a better all-encompassing uh, value metric than than James's win shares, I think, sure. because it sets a, a higher replacement level and, and uh, uh, is is maybe uh, you know 
a little bit more usable in that way. Uh, doesn't have a 52 to 48 split between fielders and, and, and hitters. Right. Pitching and right. Hitting. You know, I just, it made more, it made at least some intuitive sense to me. Um, so I wanted to see where, you know, because I was writing this for BP, I wanted to see where, where BP's metrics took us. Um, and I figured that um, by using wins above replacement player, I could get away from being so attached to the round numbers, uh, you know, 3,000 hits, 500 home runs, 300 wins, sure. uh, to get towards, um, you know, a more level playing field in terms of the wide variations of scoring throughout baseball history. Easier to compare, you know, 1960s Sandy Koufax, low, runs, low run environment to, you know, somebody we're seeing in the 2000s uh, or somebody in the dead ball era. Yeah. Um, so, and I also was stuck on this notion that, that James had introduced in his first historical abstract, and I believe it was 1985, uh, this distinction between uh, career ranking and peak ranking. This, this, idea, this idea that, that you know, if you, depending on how you define it, you can get two different uh, answers to the question of who's the all-time best. Sure. And so, you know, James had done some of that in the new historical abstract by, you know, he used like a guy's best three seasons, his best five consecutive seasons, and a weighted average of, of per 162 games, I think it was, uh, you know, in, in determining his overall rankings. That was, you know, I thought that was that was a bit excessive for my purposes. But what I did was fill out a spreadsheet uh, where I was doing this by hand. And at the time, I had just, uh, I was uh, dealing with the aftermath of, of labrum surgery on my right shoulder, which knocked me out of ski season. Uh, I, I was home and I was home in Salt Lake City uh, with my <laughs> folks and, and missing out on skiing. So here I am learning to use Excel uh, and filling in this spreadsheet by hand uh, for each player's career wins above replacement total. Uh, this each Hall of Famer's career total and his best five consecutive seasons, making allowances for uh, military service and severe injuries and things like that. The color line, whatever. Um, and the initial the the initial surprise to me was was that Jack Morris did not look much like a Hall of Famer by that method, and that Burt Blylevin did. Yeah, and you know we know what happened there. It, it became that became a battleground uh, in in like the culture war, the same culture war that that uh, uh, you know that spawned Moneyball. Um, you know this this battle between old school and new school thinking. Uh, these newfangled stats, and I wrote about that in the book. It's chapter six. Yes. Um, you know that that surprised me, and uh, you know I think anytime you're surprised by your own finding, I mean I think you know you get the sense you might be onto something. And in this case, you know I, I sort of struck gold. Um, you know, whereas Rich Letterer, I think, was coming at it from a maybe from a more traditional standpoint. Sure. Uh, you know, in looking at his numbers, and uh, and I think that that. That uh, you know was part of the reason why he was so successful in reaching some people who maybe weren't ready to accept wins above replacement player or Jaws or whatever. Um, you know, so so there was that surprise. Um, going to you know fast forwarding fifteen years here and then putting together this book. I mean, I found surprises at every corner because yeah. I had to dig into. Um, you know, the careers of all 220 major leaguers in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, there were probably 50 guys that maybe I, you know, what I knew of them you wouldn't fit in a whole sentence. Uh, <laughs> Bobby Wallace, yeah, I think he was a shortstop around the turn of the century. You know, right. that's, that's all I got. Yeah. So, you know, I learned a lot of surprising things about guys. Um, you know, some very interesting facts uh, and very funny stories occasionally uh, about even the most marginal Hall of Famers. And, you know, I, I think I... I in the 
course of the you know three plus years of writing this, I mean, I came to really enjoy you know the stories of these these guys that I would just as soon put their plaques in the basement, um, you know, as as some of the best. I mean, Chick Hafey, for example, um, you know, a guy who who is uh, the 59th best left fielder of all time according <laughs> according to Jaws and uh, the worst according to, uh, in the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, he was depicted. He was the first player depicted to be wearing glasses uh, on his plaque, and his vision was so variable that he rotated with three different prescriptions uh, depending upon how he felt. Maybe one of them was hung over. Maybe one of them was sinus, like his his sinus pressure, whatever. I mean, that those things were interesting, and they're just like surprising. I was I was surprised how much I cared about these guys, even though, you know, as Hall of Famers go, they're they're horrible. They're horrible examples. Um, you know, and and that was. It was like that at every turn. I just, I just learned so much about these guys, and and I think, you know, one of the reasons why people have responded to this book as they have so far is because, I think my enthusiasm for for even these 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 crappy Hall of Famers comes through. Um, you know, Tommy McCarthy, the worst right fielder in the Hall of Fame. Right. Uh, I, I learned really that he was in there. Um, and this is a guy who's got 16.1 career war. That's like less than two good Mike Trout seasons. Um, you know, he's he's in there basically because he's a pioneer. Um, you know, he, he, he popularized the hit and run play, uh, the fake bunt, and the outfield trap. Um, you know, all of which are, are pretty interesting innovations. Um, he just shouldn't have been inducted for his playing. He should have been inducted for, for pioneering them in the same way that Candy Cummings was for popularizing the curveball. Yeah. Um, you know, and that way you take him off the table as far as considering the numbers. Um, so there were all kinds of surprises like that. And, um, you know, I think that that, uh, uh, that that constant level of discovery for me is what helped uh, make this project bearable. Well, <laughs> bearable is the word. Bearable, bearable on my end, because because three and a half years, you know, yeah. from, 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 you know, from. From uh, first contact to uh, to seeing this book hit the shelves is is, is a long time. And, well, and, and, yeah, you know it's and, and in this day and age, it's not always that rewarding to write a book. So, um, you know, it was it was that that kept me coming back for more and wanting to dive in and you know picking myself up after a ten hour workday and trying to trying to fit two more hours in uh, just to uh, you know further my knowledge and, and, and bring something to the reader. Well, and and by the way, bearable is the word that every author uh, uses at the end of of, of <laughs> writing, right? I mean, it's just it's hard to write a book. I mean, it just is. I, I want to talk a little bit more about Morris and and Bly Levin because to me that was a, a that was a a huge turning point in this process. I think it was it was so it was a little bit like the money ball argument, um, and I think it's it's really what sort of the simple. Uh, you know, brilliance, I think, of of Jaws is, I don't know that, you know, and I know Bill has, has written about this, certainly, there's there's nothing, there's basically nothing in baseball discovered that doesn't at some point in some level go back to, to Bill James. But, but I think the idea of these two sort of notions, this notion of how good were you at your peak and how good were you over your entire career is it really is it's that crossroads uh where greatness is i mean i think there are people like dwight gooden who at their very peak were as good as maybe anybody who's ever played the game 
But most people would argue, I mean, I, I know there are some people who think Gooden should be in the Hall of Fame, but there are those people, most people would argue he wasn't great long enough. Right. And then there are other people who were very, very good for extremely long periods of time. And you looked at them and you say, okay, well, that person, you know, was, was very, very good for very long, but they were... They really were never great, and they were never great at, you know, they were never great for an extended period of time. Maybe, you know, maybe a Harold Baines would be somebody like that. So so you look at these guys, and, and again, the, 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 this, is a, this is a fluctuating concept. Everybody argues how long you have to be great or how great you have to be or whatever, but, but this idea of that crossroads, and I thought that with Jack Morris, that was... That's where the fight was. The fight was that Burt Blyleniver was never great, and the fight was that Jack Morris was great for long enough. And it felt like that was the argument people were having back and forth, right? I think that was it, and I think there's also there was still this just this deathless attachment to to wins and pitcher wins and losses. Sure, sure. Um, you know, and and that that winning percentage pitcher winning percentage means something, um, and. <laughs> You know, I, I baseball perspectives beat that out of me. You know, by two thousand and four, even right. like it just you know very quickly beat that out of me. And if I could have gotten away with not putting in pitchers, pitcher wins and losses in this book, I might have tried it. <laughs> um, but you know, ultimately, I decided no, that's probably not the way to go. Um, you know, so I, it's it, the the notion of of Morris's greatness. You know, I think hinges on those one loss records rather than his earned run averages because right. we're talking about a guy who never had an ERA below three in a, yep. in a regular season. Um, you know, there's no two twenties on his mark or anything like that. There's no yep. times when he was just you know, and there's no there's there's like what only a couple two three two hundred strikeout seasons. It's not like he was blowing guys away. Um, you know, so I, I think I think you're onto something there. I think. Um, you know, there was also this notion that that uh, uh, one or two shining moments in the postseason makes makes up for makes up for those shortcomings. And you know, I, I, the first I'm the first to admit and to to warn anybody who's using my system that you know, Jaws doesn't account for everything. It doesn't account for the postseason. Uh, it doesn't account for awards or historical importance. And there's certainly room to argue for all of those things. Um, you know, which can which can sway uh, a borderline, you know, uh, a thinking on a borderline candidate, I think, quite quite significantly. Um, but, you know, the fact that, say, Jack Morris's postseason numbers are really just a microcosm of his regular season numbers. His ERA is 380, he's, you know, as opposed to 390 for the regular season. And he had some some real duds. Like, he's the big, you know, he's one of the big reasons that Tigers didn't get to the World Series in 87. Um, you know, because he pitched a dud actually opposite Blylevin. And Blylevin, um, right. And yeah, and Blylevin had some big postseason moments as well, not just in 87, but also 79 coming out of the bullpen, uh, you know, when the when the Pirates were down three to one and, and, and uh, you know, absolutely needed somebody to hold the line. And and, uh, um, and he was nails for, you know, for, for the rest of the game. Uh, I think it's four or five innings out of the bullpen. It, it was more than just... Um, you know the the career peak argument. It, it did turn people's attention away from wins and losses and, and towards uh, run prevention, in particular, relative run prevention when considering ballpark and league scoring environments. And the fact that that you know Jack Morris has an ERA plus of one hundred five and Burt Blylevin's like one seventeen or one eighteen. You know, I think 
you know, in, in a larger sum of innings, I think really started to focus, uh, you know, the, the importance of, of, of those types of things. Well, but I, I agree with that, but I think this is where it comes back to the career and, and the, and the height of this thing. Um, I think that when you look at Jack Morris and, and Burp Lyle, just look at their numbers straight. Morris, you know, won fewer games, had whatever, 1,400 fewer strikeouts or whatever it was, uh, pitched fewer innings. Uh, you know, there, there's no, it. you know, he had a better win percentage or whatever. Uh, his, career, his career playoff numbers are not as good. There was nothing to point to Morris as a better pitcher in the career numbers than Burp Lyle So the argument was, yeah, but Lyle was never a great pitcher. And Jack Morris was a great pitcher for, you know, whatever. He most wins right. in the 80s and, right. and and whatever started eight straight opening days, whatever uh, the arguments were. And again, I'm not, and I don't think you are either. I think Jack Morris is going to get into the Hall of Fame. I think that what the Morris-Blylevin argument did was really open up this Hall of Fame discussion to, hey, you know, just because Jack Morris was viewed as a better player when he was playing than Burp Lyleven doesn't mean he was a better player. And and I think I think that's why this book is so fun because I think it used to be, hey, if somebody was viewed as a Hall of Famer while they were playing, they became a Hall of Famer. Uh in, in, inevitably. I think that's right. They had they had the fame going for them. They you know, had the fame it's, going. it's kind of it's kind of a circular argument. And, and uh you know it's one I was reminded of uh uh, just this past weekend in Cooperstown because somebody brought it up. He's in the Hall of Fame because he's famous. Um, and that's and, not true. That's, and, I don't buy that. Well, I think, but I think there's something to that. And I think when you, when you get, when you, the further back you go, uh, you know, to a certain point, you know, there are a lot of guys who are in the Hall of Fame in part because they had maybe two or three or sometimes even one big World Series. Bill yeah. Mazeroski, for example, yes. uh, Lefty Gomez, uh, you know, I think six and two win World Series play. And there's some other guys like that. You know, the world, this is when the World Series, even before television, was capturing national attention and was yes. on the front pages of every newspaper. And that kind of fame, you know, is just unthinkable today, you know, in, in a lot of cases. But, you know, when you, when you don't have a baseball encyclopedia, uh, in front of you, and we didn't have baseball encyclopedias in front of us, uh, uh, you know, before before Macmillan in 1969. Um, you know the the notion of of what makes a Hall of Famer is is more and more abstract and uh, is more reliant on fame. And now that we've got more tools to drill down and and um, get a more accurate assessment of these players' careers, you know, our definition, you know, is has has changed. You know, we want to recognize you know, the true elites rather than just make it a popularity contest. Yeah, that's right. I think that's 100% right. I think that there's no question whether or not he was, he's a, you know, great pitcher and obviously uh, one of my favorite little sections in this thing. But Dizzy Dean is in the Hall of Fame because Dizzy Dean was famous. That's right. that's why Dizzy Dean is in the Hall of Fame. And and that was the way it was. And, and there are people that think it should still be that way and still think that Steve Garvey should be in the Hall of Fame because he was famous and everybody thought he should be in the Hall of Fame. And, and that's... I, you know, that's one way to view it. I think this way uh, that we're talking about, where you really break down a player's career and look at it, is a much more interesting way to look at the Hall of Fame. And and uh, and I think, you know, I obviously this is why we love talking about it. But before we before we do that, I want to we we need to talk about some players coming up because that's what people care about. 
Uh, and so I want to talk about the 2018 ballot. Maybe we'll go on to 19 and 20, but but I want to talk about the 18 ballot because I was looking at the 18 ballot just based on Jaws, and obviously everybody knows. So Jaws is is this combination of a player's peak uh, and a combination of his player's career, and and you compare their Jaws score uh, against the Jaws scores, the average Jaws scores of their position, right? Correct. Um, yeah. And the idea is to highlight candidates who are at least as good as the average Hall of Famer in hopes of, you know, maintaining or or resuscitating what, you know, especially at the time that I created the system, felt like eroding standards. Exactly. Um, you know, we wanted to restore some restore some of the some of the uh, uh, the sheen uh, to the Hall of Fame by by recognizing these guys who are really, really worthy of the honor. So here here's what I got, though. This is this is where it gets interesting. Based on what I am seeing, I am seeing uh, 10 players uh, on next year's ballot whose jaws is higher than the jaws of their position. So I see 10 players plus two more in Vlad Guerrero and uh, and and um, Trevor Hoffman. Trevor Hoffman are going to go in, who are going to get elected. I mean, I, I think... Trevor Hoffman at 74% of the vote, he came whatever, four or five votes short or three, I don't even remember. Um, right. And and I think, and, and uh, Vlad Guerrero had more than 70%, he's going to get in too. So those two guys are going to get in, and then there are 10 other guys. So everybody keeps talking about, oh, the ballot is finally beginning to shrink down, but it isn't, is it? I mean, it's still an overwhelming ballot at the moment. Yeah, it is. And this has been the case really since 2013, since that big class, uh, Bonds, Clemens, Sosa, Piazza, and Schilling hit. Um, you know, we've had as many as 17 guys, I think, uh, exceed the standards of the, at their position. And, and just, you know, that's nuts. And that's why, you know, I was, the, why I volunteered to, to help uh, the BBWA out uh, a couple of years ago for, you know, what that, that uh, committee that was chaired by Susan Slusser and that was, in, you know, just informally, we called it the Ballot Study Committee. Right. I, don't, I don't know if it ever had an official name, but, you know, we ended up... Uh, uh, recommending uh, that uh, the slots be increased to twelve, but only because we didn't think they would go for the hall would go for fifteen. As it was, twelve was too spicy for them. Yeah, they didn't um, want it. You know, so uh, so we didn't get anything out of that. Uh, it was officially the motion was officially tabled. Um, but uh, well, I think the Hall of Fame pretty clearly just anything that in their mind would diminish standards, or at least publicly give the perception of diminished standards. They're 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 opposed to. They well, want, the 70, but the but they, you know they, we knew they wouldn't budge at seventy five percent. You know, we, and we weren't about to ask for that because we were told going in like don't even ask. And so right. all right, that's off the table. We're not you know we're not going to ask for that. Even though you know I think you can make a case that that once you get past fifty percent, the rest is just bureaucracy. Yeah, you know it's yeah. it's it's bureaucratic delays um, and and uh, filibustering. <laughs> you know, right. For one, no, that's for right. Whatever better word. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we're, you know, we're dealing with these very stacked ballots, and and uh, it's it's a you know it's a, it it requires every voter to conduct you know a kind of triage um, yes. because you have to take a look at at you know you can take a look at guys and say oh Larry Walker's in his eighth year I think he's a Hall of Famer but geez he's getting only twenty one percent you know twenty one point nine percent of the vote last year he's never going to make that up in in, in three years. Um, sorry, Larry. I, I think it's more important to make sure that Scott Rowland doesn't fall off the ballot. And well, that's that's, a, that's exactly the game. position. Yeah, that's the games we're in. I mean, that's the games. I last year, uh, I, I think there were thirteen I wanted to vote for, but I mean, I voted for Larry Walker 
uh, fearing he might fall off the ballot. And didn't vote for Vlad Guerrero, who I actually think is a Hall of Famer, even though he falls a little short um, in the in the in the jaws. I mean, I right. I have him as a Hall of Famer. So, but here the the new guys that are coming on the ballot. So Chipper Jones, everybody knows he's going to get elected. He'll get elected with a pretty high percentage of the vote. I would. Think. And he's got a shot at being the first unanimous guy because because you know we've got this move to transparency this year. Uh, every every ballot will be will be become public knowledge a week after the election. Who's going to stand up and thump their chest and say, "I don't think Chipper Jones is a Hall of Famer"? Somebody will. Somebody, <laughs> might. somebody might. Somebody might. And you know, it's not that Chipper Jones is more worthy of that honor than anybody who came before, but he's first in line. Um, you know, so before we talk about whether Derek Jeter will be the first or right. Mariano Rivera will be the first, you know, it, until then, it's it's Chipper who's who's first in the box. And he is an obvious choice. So I mean, right. yes, somebody is going to have to say, "I didn't vote for Chipper Jones." But of course, now because of the triage you're talking about. You could fall back on that, too. You could say, hey, look, I knew he was going to get in. There are 10 others that I felt like I needed to give my support to. So he, I don't think he'll be unanimous, but he's going to be in the high 90s, I would think. Sure, sure. Jim Tomey, is Jim Tomey going to go in on first ballot? You know, I it, it seems ridiculous that he wouldn't, given 612 career home runs. But right. I, I guess in theory, it's possible. I mean, we're talking about a guy who had no... No tangible connection to performance enhancing drugs. Nobody right. even like, you know, nobody with any even like shred of credibility ever suggested that Jim Tony was on. Nope. I mean, this is a big lumpy guy who could hit the ball a country <laughs> mile, um, you know, and, 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 you know, he was, he was, you know, he had his limitations elsewhere, um, but. Boy, could he kill it! And kill it! Four hundred and a four hundred yeah. on base percentage. I mean, yeah, it's, it's I, and, yeah, that, legitimately yeah. feared. You know, legitimately feared in the box. And you know, I guess I could see, you know, enough curmudgeon saying, "Oh, he didn't feel like a Hall of Famer to me. Never won MVP." You know, or, or you know, something dumb like that. And you know, so it could happen with this with this crowd or top of the ballot. With and I just realized I've been. I have been misrepresenting uh, Hoffman and Vlad in this round of interviews by saying that it was it was Vlad who had seventy four percent and Hoffman had had low seventies and now it's the other way around. Right, right. So you know twenty twenty five different interviews I did over the last week I'm going to have to retract uh, or issue. <laughs> yeah, they're close enough. They're both going issue in. The yeah, they're, both going, they're, they're both going in. I mean they're they're both like gimme putts away at this point here. So um, you know and it's a rarity to get a four man class. You know we had one. Uh, in 2015, and that was the first since 1955. So, um, you know, to presume that we're going to get another, particularly when we've got so many other candidates that that are that are in need of support, um, you know, with uh, well, let's uh, talk about some of those because you got yeah. Scott Rowland because there's a guy yeah. that that I think uh, has a you know this is this is one of those things where you know his first of all his jaws is better is he has he has a Hall of Fame jaws. Um, he's a guy who I think. The more you look at his career, the more you realize how great he really was. And he's somebody who needs time, I think, to really build sort of the consensus of what a great player yeah. he was, uh, you know, as third basemen often do. And I don't know if he's going to get that time. I mean, I just yeah. don't know. What do you think? I think Scott Scott Rowland is Adrian Beltre without the finishing kick. I mean, he's he is a guy who... Uh, had a lot of injuries from his mid thirties onward. A lot of his value rests on defense. Um, you know, he does have the gold gloves. I think I think he's actually got more than Beltre does, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, eight. I think Beltre's got five. Yeah. Uh, but only uh, two thousand and seventy-seven hits and three hundred sixteen home runs. Only, only. Yeah. Jeez, yeah. Gosh. I know. You know, but but you know, he played his last game uh, at at uh, uh, at age thirty-seven, and you know, his last few years were were. Uh, 
you know, were, were racked with injuries. I mean, you know, from from uh, uh, the last time he played 140 games was age 31. Yeah. Um, you know, he did get over the 2,000 hit mark, which, as I as I note about 17 times in the book, has been a bright line test for uh, expansion era Hall of Famers. If you don't get to 2,000, good night. You know, good Mark McGuire, yeah. Bobby yeah. Gritch, um, you know, Dick Allen, Tony Oliva, Minnie Minoso. I mean, it's been the death of a lot of candidacies. Yeah. Um, and one of those guys is going to break it someday, but until they do, I'm not, you know, I'm not banking on, uh, on, on any particular one of them. Um, yeah, I worry that Roland is going to fall off the ballot. And I also, in retrospect, I'm kind of kicking myself that, that I didn't include a Roland essay in this book. I'm not sure who I would throw out for that. Um, you know, because as it is, I went 96 pages past my projected page count and, <laughs> and basically just, I, you could have done, said, you could have done a hundred more. I, I, I would have, just, I basically I just held my breath until they said yes. You know, <laughs> and like, I, you know, I was just, I was not going to be denied. And, and I think they respected the, you know, the, the, the fact that, um, that the material was good enough. Um, and, and they respected the fact that I made some hard cuts, like leaving the Jeff Bagwell and Yvonne Rodriguez uh, chapters aside once once they were elected. Once and, they were elected, uh, yeah. Yeah. All right, three um, guys. So anyway, so yeah, Roland, uh, I, I think eminently worthy. I have him as a top 10 third baseman all time. Um, uh, 10th in Jaws, in fact, and uh, with a, you know above on peak and career. So, you know, this is a guy who's definitely worth a vote. And uh, uh, at the same time, I worry that he is uh, at risk to to fall off the ballot. All right, let's take a second here to uh, thank our sponsor, Volvo. Uh, You can still join Volvo for their Midsommar sales event and get up to $4,500 off on select Volvo vehicles. Enjoy standard features like keyless entry, rear park assist camera, navigation system, and more. But hurry, summer doesn't last forever. Take advantage of this limited-time offer today. Visit your local Volvo dealer. For details, offers uh, does exclude all V90, XC90 Momentum, and XC90 Excellence. Standard features vary by model. See your dealer for details. And now, back to the interview with Jay. Three guys uh, who have very, very different backings. I think we know which is the one that's going to probably go forward. But three guys, and, and Jaws is, you know, not not super high on any of the three. Uh, Andrew Jones... Johan Santana and Omar Vizquel. And well, all three of them are coming on the ballot next year, and all three are really interesting in their own way. Yeah, Jones is a guy who I've got in the book, and it's, it's, he's only a, he's he's actually well above the the peak uh, in center field, yeah. um, and just a little short in career. He's te- he's tenth and he's tenth at the position all time too. So you know, this is a guy who who uh, uh, I guess is ninth in peak, okay, and um, and and above the standard in peak. Um, yeah, and he's got nine, one thousand nine hundred thirty-three hits. I'm, you know, so he, I'm afraid for him. Um, again, and, and you know, I, you know, I'm glad I put his essay in the book. Um, you know, you want you look at those those Braves rotations, um, and of the three guys that are in the Hall of Fame, uh, Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, and John Smoltz. Uh, uh, John Smoltz. The only one of those who was really a strikeout pitcher was Smoltz. Where did the where did those balls in play go to die? They went into Andrew Jones's glove. Yeah, he was um, amazing. You know, he was he was the centerpiece of of, of that defense, um, much more so than any shortstop that they had uh, uh, during that career because they kept changing shortstops. Um, you know, and, and but he was the constant there with the you know with those with those what, ten gold gloves. Yeah. And um, you know, I I think I you know I, I definitely think he's worthy of the recognition. He's worthy of recognition. I think it's going to be tough for him. I think it's going to be sure. very very tough oh, for very. Santana, for Santana because his career was 
so short, but I mean, we're talking dominance for, for whatever five year span. Um, and, and I don't think he's going to get a tremendous amount of support just because the ballot is so loaded, but I think Vizquel is going to get quite a bit of support and, and there's Jaws is not kind to Omar Vizquel. Uh, to say the least, <laughs> um, you know, I, Vizquel, I think he's below even uh, Rabbit Ranville, the, you know, in terms of the, the shortstops in Jaws and, and Rabbit's the lowest. Um, you know, we're talking about a guy who I think it's, a, this is going to be a potential Jack Morris situation, yeah. uh, a very polarizing candidate who some people, you know, Love. feel like passed, passed the eye test and, and, and beloved uh, to a certain extent. Yeah, he's, he's five notches below Rabbit. Uh, in, in Jaws and Rabbit is, you know, and, and with, with a much lower peak too. In fact, somebody was asking me this the other day, um, you know, what, like what I thought of uh, Andrelton Simmons uh, as well. And I noted that Simmons in, I think, five years and change on either side already has a peak uh, that is essentially uh, the equivalent of Vizquel who played for, you know, 20 some years yeah. uh, and has this really minimal peak. You know, Vizquel's proponents want to say he was the successor to Ozzie Smith, right. but neither the fielding numbers nor the offensive numbers come close to measuring up once you adjust for his environment, once you include base running, um, you know, and all of that. Oh, Ozzie added a tremendous value on the base paths and became a legitimately solid hitter in St. Louis, you know, learned, you know, how to, how to hit the ball on the ground consistently and, and took advantage of the turf. Omar played in a higher scoring era and just, you know, had a couple big seasons, but never really consistently uh, helped his teams with the bat. And the defensive metrics just aren't there for him, even though we've got, you know, 10 times as much highlight film uh, of him that you can access from your uh, from your desktop. Well, that's what's going to happen. I mean, look, and, and look, I love Omar Vizquel. I love him. I mean, obviously, you know, with, with him in, in Cleveland and being a Clevelander, love the guy. You're going to have people that are going to say he was he was the defensive a wizard of his time, even even though the numbers do really not support that, he has twenty eight hundred and seventy seven hits. I mean, he's really close to three thousand hits as a as a shortstop uh, with four hundred with four hundred stolen bases. You know that people are going to cherry pick that and and point out you know those numbers and saying, well, with his defense, with all of that, he's in. He's going to get a lot of support. I, I really believe he's going to yeah, get a lot of support. I, I, I know that, and and. You know, I, I have the uh, Vizquel essay ready. That was another one that I pulled from the book, and I decided, why do I want to, you know, if, if I have to, if I'm cutting guys, why do I want to keep in a guy who my system just does not like? Um, <laughs> you know, and I don't want to offend anybody. I know Omar in particular is beloved by his countrymen. Yeah. You know, from Venezuela, beloved, you know, in Cleveland and, and whatever. And I, you know, I think the problem with this all is you end up, and I learned this from the Jack Morris thing, is you end up, Arguing vehemently against somebody's inclusion in the Hall of Fame, but that that doesn't mean you think that they're garbage. And Omar Vizquel was not garbage. He no, just, he just doesn't quite meet the standard. And you know, I, I'll have to leave it to somebody else to 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 make a stronger case for him because I refuse to. I my numbers say he's a terrible Hall of Famer. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's the problem. <laughs> but but that is the problem. The problem yeah. is, you're right. We're discussing the greatest players in the history of the game, and. The standards that the Hall of Fame has 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 set up over whatever eighty years or so of 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 being around, and and that's it. That's it. We're not 
and and I always felt really, especially toward the end, because I wrote so you know how many Jack Morris pieces I wrote. Sure. Um, and after a while, and first of all, I like Jack personally, and I have no beef with Jack Morris. I think Jack Morris was a very very fine pitcher. He was a workhorse. He he pitched two hundred innings every year. He had the great World Series. If he goes to the Hall of Fame, I'm absolutely going to shake his hand and congratulate him and say that's awesome. Good for right. you. That's nothing personal and nothing against right. what a career he, he had. Did, he did, Jack Morris didn't ask to become a symbol in a culture war. He did you know? not. He, he did. You know, he said some. He said some. He said some silly things to to certain people uh, about well, the value. He's, he's actually about the value of saver metrics. He's you know he's old school, but but you know he doesn't deserve he doesn't deserve the the, the level of rancor. Uh, that has been attached to his candidacy, and and that you know unfortunately is is just a byproduct of uh, you know the levels of volume that people reach when they're arguing passionately about well, this stuff. Well, right. and that's how important it is. And by the way, Jack has said some things through the years that I'm really not super happy with. So yeah, I'm not well, I'm not trying to either defend Jack as a as a human being either. I mean, it's just it's it. The point is that when we have these kinds of conversations and these kinds of discussions, we're starting from the point. Hey. These are all really, really good players. We're starting from that point. And and when I say, well, I think Jack Morris is not a Hall of Famer, that's all I'm saying. When I say Omar Vizquel is not a Hall of Famer, that's all I'm saying. I'm not saying Omar Vizquel wasn't awesome. He was awesome, super fun to watch. The barehanded plays that he made were terrific. But you look at the great players in the Hall of Fame, Alan Trammell was a greater player than Omar Vizquel. Alan Trammell's not in the Hall of Fame. You could probably right. list off probably five, four or five shortstops sure. minimum, you know? I don't know. I mean, I saw somebody Danger yesterday. Conception. Well, that's the thing. I saw somebody yesterday say, oh, he's like Ozzy. And I'm like, he's not even, you know, he's not Dave Concepcion, really. Right. I mean, when you look at it, so. Uh, he's not Jimmy Rollins. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there you go. There yeah. you go. I mean, yeah, we could do this all day. Or Tony Fernandez or, or yes, we could There's, do this all day. Yeah, we really could. <laughs> and, we, and, we, and we won't. All right. Over the next four or five years, uh, as you mentioned, that we are entering a different era where every single ballot will be made public. And once that happens, and and let's face it, most people let make their ballots public now. But the ones who have not made their ballots public are probably, they're probably going to be some, some pretty shaky choices in there. And it's going to be different when that comes under public scrutiny. So we really do have an opportunity in the next five, six years to get either the first unanimous player or the first player who's like falls a vote or two short, like somebody who's who's right on the brink, right? Um, who's it going to be? Who is going to either be unanimous or sort of make it so close that there will be a unanimous player down the road? Right. I mean, I think, like I said, I think Chipper's got a shot. I think Mariano's got a shot, but if if it gets past if if either of those guys doesn't get it, then I think it's going to be Jeter. I think it's going to be Jeter. I, mean, I he's do. Gonna, he's got you know the, he's got the hit totals, he's got the rings, he's got the batting average, he's got the fame. I mean, really, you know who who is going to object to that? Who like? I mean, certainly a fan. There are fans who will object to it just to right. be just to be contrarians. <laughs> um, but there is not going to be any writer worth his salt. Or her salt uh, that has any credit that, that that wants to, that wants to maintain any shred of credibility uh, in this area. Uh, who could argue otherwise? Um, you know, we're not beholden to the fact that Babe Ruth wasn't unanimous or Ty Cobb wasn't unanimous. Um, you know, and I think that's going to be silly. So yeah, I would say it's, it's Jeter, and after that, 
you know, there's there's probably nobody upcoming for for a good long time because you look at even the, the quality from 2021 and 2022 drops off considerably. You know, Tim Hudson and Tory Hunter are the best candidates on 2021. Yeah. Nobody, you know, none of them, neither of them are going to make it. No. Alex Rodriguez in 2022, good luck with that. Yeah. David Ortiz as a DH, I mean, you know, I, I say in the book, my hunch is he makes it, maybe not first ballot, but he, he's going to make it despite the fact that Jaws is not a huge fan of him. Um, but, uh, you know, we're, after that, you're looking at, you know, who's active here and, and, and when do we think they're going to retire? Um, you know, and it's just, it just becomes a complete uh, exercise in speculation, and we don't know how long Clayton Kershaw is going to last, or Mike Trout, or Bryce Harper, or Chris Bryant, or you know whomever. Uh, these people who are off to great starts in their careers, uh, you know, yeah. how they're going to last, and what the objections could be to their candidacies once once they you know if they do. Yeah, I th- I think you're right. I, look, I think I think Chipper will fall short. If, if for no other reason he doesn't have 3,000 hits, doesn't have 500 home runs, he doesn't have quite that, like, you know, where every single person basically has no choice but to vote for him kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. He's certainly a Hall of Famer. I think he's going to fall. He's, again, I think he's going to be high 90s. I just don't think he's going to be the one that's going to break sort of through that 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 glass ceiling. Mariano should do that in my view. And I'm not, you know, I, I don't think any relievers basically should be in the hall of fame or very few relievers should be in the hall right. of fame. Yeah. But, I mean, we're talking, yeah, it it's, should be Mariano and nobody basically at this point, he's that much better in my mind. Uh, and maybe not nobody, but Mariano. And, you know, I think you make a, a decent argument for Gossage and, and, and a couple others. Right. Um, did you, did you include Hoffman on your ballot? I did not. I yeah, did not. I, I understand. I, I understand that. I respect that. I, I, you know, I don't think I could include uh, Hoffman, uh, you know, under certain certain circumstances. But I've kind of come around to his candidacy, not based on Jaws, but but based on uh, uh, win, I, I, probabil- win probability added. I think is is uh, uh, I think the most revealing stat about him. And I'm interested in looking more closely at uh, uh, what that new Nate Silver thing, uh, the goose eggs. Yeah. Uh, says well, about him look, and, and, and other believers. Look, he's a, he's he's an absolute superstar and, and, and a great Hall of Fame candidate. I just didn't have room for him on my ballot. Sure. I mean, no, I understand that. Yeah. That's, that's how that goes. All right. Last question. Uh, of the guys on the ballot, who is the one sort of who's your is is, you know, who is your pet project? I would just say that. Who is who is the one Ed, guy? Ed, that Edgar. You, it is Edgar, Edgar, right? Edgar Martinez because, yeah. um, you know, I think people want to, you know, want to slag him as, as being just a DH. Which but, you know, first of all, he played more than 500 uh, games in the field at third base and he was more than competent at it. The metrics yeah. actually, you know, actually credit him with being above average. Um, you know, the, you go back to the scouting reports when he was coming up and they say, you know, he's certainly playable there. Um, there were, there's, there's nobody knocking him. It's not like we're talking about, uh, um, you know the the second coming of Ryan Braun at third right, base. Right, right. Um, this was a, the, the, it was the string of injuries that led the Mariners to put to put him there, uh, to put him at DH. So he's got seventy two percent of his career as a DH. But you know the the thing is um, that even with the extra, uh, I think it's seven and a half runs a year between uh, the positional adjustment between third base and DH, even with that tax. Uh, in war, and it goes from like plus two to minus five or something like that with an extra half run in, in there somewhere. Um, he is still uh, better than the average Hall of Fame third baseman, better than the average Hall of Fame position player Incredible. overall. And, you know, I've spent 
you know, the better part of a decade trying to hammer that home to voters and, and, and other believers or, or other, other observers. And uh, uh, we're making some headway here. He's had two large gains in a row to get to 58.6% yes. uh, with two years to go. Um, like Tim Raines, he had uh, the cruelty of losing five years of eligibility through no fault of his own. Right. But he's actually in slightly better shape than Raines was two years ago. I think Raines was at 55% two years, two years ago. Um, so suddenly this seems doable. Now, Edgar, um, there's an additional connection there. I was born in Seattle. I have family on both sides in Seattle. My uncle, uh, who worked worked for the Mariners, was the uh, um, was the uh, uh, head concierge at the Diamond Club in his sort of post retirement job. Nice. And uh, um, you know, there's a, so there's a special connection there. He passed away in January when I was uh, uh, wrapping up the, the manuscript of this book, um, and. Uh, uh, he was on my mind a lot, and uh, you know, I know that that uh, in, in, like in our last conversation, I said I was working hard to get Edgar in. So that's awesome. Um, you know, I, I I really do hope he's in, and, and he's a he's a guy to whom I have a you know, a similar emotional response as I do to Tim Raines. Um, you know, Raines was was a favorite from my childhood. Uh, you know, not to the extent that it, he was for Jonah Carey, because Jonah lived in Montreal, and he sure. had uh, he had that 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 extra special closeness. Um, you know, Edgar, I was an admirer from afar. Um, but, you know, when I could watch those West Coast games, I, you know, watching him hit uh, was always a pleasure. And, geez, just remember what he did in that 95 division Ugh. series and, and, and what that, you know, what the dump meant to, uh, you know, to getting that, to keeping that team in Seattle, um, you know, I think is, is, is really cool. So, you know, I want to do what I can. I don't think I don't imagine myself going to the same lengths as, as Rich Letter or Jonah Carey going door, <laughs> going door to door, uh, uh, knocking on doors and saying, you know, are you all a fan voter? Will you vote for 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 Edgar Martinez? But um, you know, I'd li- I, I'd like to I'd like to think that if he does get in, um, you know, that, that my efforts will have had something to do with it. Yeah, and and I I couldn't agree with you more. I, I mean, I think he's absolutely should be in the Hall of Fame. I, I, it's. Uh, yeah, I mean it's we're it's ridiculous, and and what you hope for this year is a big jump for him. I mean, you hope yeah. to for him to, if he gets up into the mid to high sixties this year, he'll get in. And yeah, I think you just want to keep the momentum rolling. I mean, yeah. he's he's he he looked buried two years ago. Um, let's see here, it, he was at he he was at twenty seven percent in two thousand fifteen. His Amazing. support is more than doubled in two years. I mean, he was he that that was falling off from around thirty seven percent. A couple of years before that, but yeah, he looked dead and buried, um, and now he's uh, uh, to forty three point four and then fifty eight point six. So, you know, he's moving in the right direction. This is, I think, one of the biggest two year gains in, in the modern election period that we've seen already. So, um, you know, I do hope he keeps it going. Me too. Me too. Well, Jay, I can't thank you enough for joining us. The book is the Cooperstown Casebook. Who's in the Baseball Hall of Fame? Who should be in? And who should pack their plaques? available at all bookstores and Amazon and all those other things. Uh, hope to have you back on as we get a little closer to the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. Always talk. I'll always talk Hall with you, Joe. Absolutely. Thanks, Jay. Sure thing.